0: your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Oh my gosh, Bianca Olthoff is fire. You are about to experience fire, and I'm so excited about it. So I met Bianca, honestly, we shared the stage together at this event called the Global Leadership Summit, which is probably the biggest speaking event in the world. And I saw her and I was like, gosh, she looks a lot like Jasmine Starr. And I was like, I swear they look a lot alike. (laughs) And then I've been friends with Jasmine for a minute. And then I saw Jasmine. I'm like, there's no way, like they look so much alike. And then Jasmine became a client. And I was like, hey, has anyone ever told you that you look like Bianca Oltoff? (laughs) And she's like, yeah, it's my sister. And it blew my mind. And I've been following Bianca and I'm a huge fan of Jasmine and she's a client and now I'm following Bianca. And I just, I love Bianca's content. And she has a book coming out called Grit, Don't Quit. And we're going to talk about this today. This is the topic of perseverance. Now, this is Bianca's third traditionally published book. Her first two books have done great, and she is a bestselling author. She is also a lead pastor of a church, so we're going to hear probably a little bit about that, maybe a little bit about speaking in the kind of the Christian circuit and Christian conferences, but mostly I want her to talk about how do we persevere and how do we overcome when we want to quit? And anyways, we just become friends, and I feel like she's family, even though we're really technically meeting for the first time. So Bianca, welcome to the show.
1: I am so excited. And with that introduction, I mean, I'm ready to throw some fire here. I mean, en fuego. All right. (laughs) We're going to have some fun. We're going to light some stuff up.
0: So, all right. So tell me, let's talk about perseverance and grit, I guess. And walk me through your definition of what is grit? Why are you writing this book? How did this all come about?
1: So let's start from the nitty gritty, if you will. I think over the last couple of years, I have seen so many friends and so many people that are in the same field or people of faith that have just given up. And it's so easy in our culture and society right now to throw in the towel, if you will. And I didn't realize how pervasive the message was until I came to some really hard blows the last couple of years. And I was having a conversation with a friend and she was going through a divorce and I'm looking at her and we're walking through this really dark valley, if you will. And sure. she looked at me from across the coffee table and she said, well, I'm just not like you. I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, because of your life and your background, like you just were forced to be resilient. Like I'm not born like that. And then I was hit with the reality that I think people think that resilience and grit is something that you're born with, not something that you build. Mm. and so a little bit of context uh, i know that you're a good friend with jasmine and you know a little bit about this but for those that are listening to the podcast and i am new to them new friend my background is peppered i am a daughter of immigrants and we are a large hispanic family on one income a dire straits being raised in urban environments i like to say like We put the urban and suburban and our family was (laughs) raised in East Los Angeles. See, West LA is where all the fancy bougie people were. We're in East LA. So Jasmine and I, I don't know if you even know this, but Jasmine and I struggled academically uh, to read, write, and spell. We were literate at the age of 12. And couple this with, being obese and homeschooled and people of faith living in a non-faith culture. I mean, mm. it was like strike after strike after strike. So I think statisticians would have put me in a category highest prone to failure. I mean, I'm repeating the generational patterns of people that have come before me. So Her. I understand what she's saying, but there's so many other people that lived very similar stories to myself. And yet there's disciplines and practices that I've learned along the way, not just to survive, but also just to become a leader who thrives in whatever adversity has thrown my way. So what's the heart behind this is that I want to demystify the understanding that grit is something that people are born with. It is a practice that we develop. And I've read so many books. I mean, Dr. Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, was phenomenal. I loved it. It was amazing. Changed my life. It came out like six, seven years ago. But one of the things that when I closed the book, I realized, okay, so she defined grit, but she didn't teach me necessarily how to build it. And she gives so many different examples of people that were gritty. And she gave medical analysis and psychological understanding. But I left the book feeling very inspired, but I didn't have practical handles. I'm the girl that likes to put the cookies on the lower shelf. I like to make (laughs) things just really, really simple. And so whether that's teaching the Bible or teaching leadership principles, I just want to make it simple. And so that's the heart of this. In doing the research for this, I realized that some people might be born with a little bit more optimism, maybe a little bit more drive. But grit is something that all of us can build. And my definition of grit in its most simplistic form is a combination between endurance, we're not going to give up, and perseverance. No matter what comes our way, we're going to keep pushing forward. So that's the heartbeat behind it.
0: Yeah. And personal brands is something you understand, you know, this intersection, right? Like, talk to me about some of the endurance that you've had to have to build your personal brand? I mean, you've got so many followers online. You've got this thriving church, this thriving community. You've got three books. You self-published a book and then two books that you wrote. And now this is your third. Like, How do you think this applies specifically to the personal brand journey?
1: You know, I never set out to try to build something. And the least of that was to build a brand for myself. However, I have a wonderful sister who was like, Bianca you are building something you were building. I am a woman of faith. And so for everyone out there that may not share that, I totally understand it, but this is my journey. So I'm going to give you a little peek. So I started teaching Bible studies and my sister was like, Bianca, I-, I really do think that you need a website because you're basically like that person that's selling fake Rolexes, like a Folex in an alleyway out of the trunk of a car. Like you have to legitimize yourself. And that simple conversation really sent me on this journey to be like, you know what? I am very proud of the abilities and the skills that I'm cultivating, been given and are wanting to increase and get better. So like, why not put intention behind everything that goes out there, not just my words, but also what's associated with that. And so it's been wildly, wildly important I think for those that are not familiar with the faith space, it's been d- largely dominated by men and largely dominated by a certain type of man. And so, for me to come in, I kind of stick out like a sore thumb. But that's actually worked in my favor now because in building a brand, I realized that not everyone likes vanilla ice cream, not everyone likes chocolate ice cream. Some people like cookie crunch, malted cookie crunch, and some people mm. like bubblegum ice cream. Some people like get ready pistachio ice cream. I just realized that I might not be <laughs> everyone's flavor, but the people who are out there that like my flavor, will love this ice cream. So I'm going to build a brand, whether that is in visual assets, digital assets, audio assets, or or biblical assets. I want it to reflect a person, the person who I am in the best form. And again, if I like putting things on the lower shelf, the cookies on the lower shelf, I want to make whether it's brand building or biblical principles as easy for people to understand. So I'm passionate about it. I love it. And also my background is in art. So when she started talking about brand building, I kind of viewed it as like painting a portrait. And any portrait that lasts is going to have a gesso underneath that is like a primer. And I think that brand building needs to have that. Brand building is the primer. If you want something to last, you need a good primer. If you want your business to grow, you have to have a good brand. So I view it like that.
0: Yeah. Well, and I just, I think people don't realize how much the road to building a personal brand is just littered with rejection Uh, And self-doubt and going, you know, you get turned down for this speaking gig and this literary agent tells you your idea will never sell. And this publisher says the book is no good. And, you know, you do this email campaign and nobody buys and you, you know, spend (laughs) your all your money on a website and then like it doesn't work. And there's just to me, this is such a walk of perseverance and grit just to even be in the game, right? Like just to even have a chance, you have to go. So I know you talk a little bit about neuroscience specifically and the connection to grit. Can you take us a little bit into that? Because I kind of feel this as like you you mentioned Angela Duckworth as sort of like the handoff of going, you know, there's this academic piece of grit. And then, you know, we're going to talk about I want to talk about the three Ps of perseverance and all that. But there's sort of like this piece of neuroscience. And tell me about how the neuroscience of our brain connects into us being gritty.
1: Okay, so you said, before we went live on this podcast, you said that you were a nerd and I am a nerd. So from one nerd to a nerd, we're gonna nice. nerd out for a second.
0: <laughs> nice. You
1: know, neuroscience and the study of the brain and neuropathy is something that's becoming more in the forefront of everyday nomenclature, language, vocabulary, like we're understanding it more. And so for those not familiar with it, the easiest way to kind of break it down is neuropathy is this study of like our the brain grooves, the brain pathways. And so in taking a little bit of neuroscience background and applying it, to the idea of grit is that no matter what failure comes our way, we get to determine what we tell ourselves about that failure. Is that, do we say our failure is final or our failure is part of the process? And every time that we choose a different narrative, one that is life-giving, one that is believing that the best is yet to come, as cliche as that sounds, we're actually building neural pathways in our brain that can actually rewire our brain to have us view situations like Perceived failure, or maybe being dismissed by somebody, or being rejected, or not getting the job. We can rewire our brain with truth when we tell ourselves, This is not the end of me. Mm. When we tell ourselves that this is actually strengthening me. And when we do that, it's not, and this is the difference between just, you know, like, oh, positive confession. I'm just going to will myself to think this. It's actually knowing that there is a purpose for this failure. I mean, this goes into, I think when we talk about perseverance, when we talk about grit, it feels very nebulous. Like, what does that really even mean? And I love some science that's coming out of Harvard right now. Actually, it's probably about a decade old, but I think it's just gaining popularity. That when we try to talk about the word resilience, what are the components of resilience? You had mentioned the three Ps, and we can talk about that in a second. But I think that's been really pivotal in like how I understand failure, because it's perspective, it's the ability to pivot, and then there's the purpose component. That has been wildly just fascinating to me because it's changing the way that I think. And by changing the way that I think, it changes the way that I live. By changing the way that I live, it changes how I lead. And so I think all of it is interconnected and it begins with this rewiring of the brain. And that's been really fascinating to uncover. And I go a little bit into it. It's only one chapter that I talk about I have to talk about it in the book, but I think it's so important the power of what we're thinking, the power of what we're saying, the power of what we're believing about what perceived failure actually means in our life.
0: Yeah, I think that it was empowering for me to sort of wake up and realize this idea that it is up to me to define the way I think about what has happened to me, right? You don't always get to choose what happens, but you get to choose how you respond to it. And more specifically, How you process it, how the story you tell yourself about what happened. One alternative is, man, I'm a total failure. (laughs) This is never going to work. The other is to say, you know, oh, this is preparing me or this is redirecting me or this feedback is sharpening, you know, is helping me sharpen in on what I am trying to get to or it's just strengthening me. You know, I went I went door to door for five years when I was in college and knocked on 20,000 <laughs> doors. And it just, it literally was like, you had to just tell yourself, like every time the door got slammed was just like, this is strengthening my character. Like this is making <laughs> me so resilient because there's so much, so much rejection. So let's do, let's walk through the, the three piece because I know that there's people out there, whether it's an author, you know, who feels, hopeless about how do I get this book out into the world or the attention of a publisher or an aspiring speaker, or a lot of, you know, maybe it's coaches going, I need more clients. And I feel like I don't know where they're going to come from. Or we also have, you know, a lot of professional service providers that are, you know, part of this community of lawyers and accountants and doctors and things where they might just be feeling burnt out. Right. I'm just going like, I don't want to keep going. Like I'm already, I've been going for so long and I'm burnt out. So, walk us through the three P's.
1: Okay. So, before we dive into that, you had said something that was so impactful. And I don't want someone to miss this. It's like the podcaster flipping it on the podcaster, but you said something so good that I think people need to hold on to. You had 20,000 doors that you knocked on, and you had so many no's and so many slammed doors in your face. Uh-huh. That is resistance. And what people can look at you and be like, "Oh, well, that's just Rory, or he's just gifted for that, or it doesn't hurt his feelings."
0: I, I cried like, every freaking day. Every see, day, I that. cried. <laughs> Literally, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. I cried tears, and it was every day. There was not one day that I was knocking on doors that I did not physically cry. It was horrible. I hated it. I was so hard. <laughs>
1: Talk to you soon. That resistance is the thing that builds resilience. And so I think that the the door slammed in our faces Mm. and that crying, it's so easy to say, okay, this is not for me. I'm just going to walk away. But there's something that you cultivated inside of you, whether I don't think maybe you had this divine revelation on the 7,016th door that slammed in your face. But by and large, it's these micro decisions to say, I'm going to knock on the next door. I'm going to knock on the next door. I'm going to knock on the next door. Now, if it's, in our own will, our own volition, our own drive, I think that will wane at like the 10,000th door.
0: Mm. If
1: we understand that resilience is actually a component of three different things, I shifted them. And the science of it, it's very technical terms. And so again, cookies on the lower shelf, friend. I made them all start with P because I was raised on Sesame Street and P is the letter for the day, okay? (laughs) So the first P of resilience is the understanding of perspective. So perspective is, and this is where we get into like the neuro pathways and what, so perspective would pause and say, okay, even though this is bad, whatever the bad is, you didn't get the job, the pitch in the boardroom epically failed. The C-suite that you wanted was taken by someone who everyone thought was more qualified, whatever your perceived failures. Your perspective is like your chosen perspective. You can walk in and say, though that it's not now, that doesn't mean that it's not never. Your perspective will shift and say, what are areas of growth in my life that I maybe don't see? Your perspective would say, hey, this is resurrecting something in me that I would like to work, work through with a trained professional. I'm gonna go see a therapist. Perspective is saying, what am I not saying? And then perspective allows you to pivot. Who are, what's the characteristics of people who are resilient? Not only do they have a healthy perspective of life and themselves, they have that wild ability to pivot, to say, though this is not working, I am going to turn and I'm gonna go in a different direction and I'm gonna make this work. I would like to be lemons, it's not just for lemonade. It's so that I could save the seeds and plant these seeds in the future for trees that will produce more lemons in my life. This is the ability to pivot. The French word is bricolage. Most people are familiar with like collage, but bricolage is when we're taking different strands of different things and we're making something beautiful. This is the lemons to lemonade. Those resilient people will have an ability not only to have clear perspective, but the ability to pivot. And then last and finally is an understanding of purpose. So, if you're familiar with the Austrian psychiatrist out of Auschwitz that survived the Holocaust, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on his name? Please help me, Rory. Do you know who I'm talking about?
0: It's brilliant. Victor Frankel. Victor
1: Frankel. See, I knew it. You came through. You come are on, a homie. You are a homie. Who is Victor? Victor who is Victor yes. Frankel?
0: For 500.
1: <laughs> yes. yes. Well done. You will win Jeopardy. You will be my phone a friend. Okay. So Viktor Frankl really helped frame this understanding of our pain having purpose. Nobody wants to say that. And again, it sounds so cliche, but what he did is he found that people that understood that their pain actually produced a purpose in their life, that they went on to live not only more fulfilled lives, but more successful lives. And I think, wow, if we're giving people handles on how to be resilient, it's those that have a healthy, healthy perspective on self and life, have the ability to pivot, and they can see a greater purpose beyond whatever... It trauma trial or tribulation has faced them that's what makes me passionate and that's what makes me so excited I'm like there's actual handles to build this for our lives
0: yeah and these are so good because you know like with perspective part of how i've always thought about it is like if you have a flat tire that seems like an awful event but one day when you go to heaven if you learn back and you go oh that flat tire actually prevented you from a fatal car accident mm. mm-hmm. just around the corner mm-hmm. you go wow I completely view that horrible thing, what seemed like a horrible thing as a complete blessing. And it's like, the event hasn't changed. Hello. All that has changed is your perspective. And I heard a pastor one time say to me, they said, you know, Rory, heaven is just a bunch of people walking around going, oh, now I see why God did that. <laughs> oh, now that makes sense. You know, I probably would have done that that way too, right? And just that perspective of going... We just don't have the gift of knowing always why. The other thing that makes me think about that is like high school reunions, where you go, man, when I was in high school, I had the biggest crush on this one person. And you were just like <laughs> desperate to like have this one person like you. And then 20 years, you come back to high school reunion and you're like, oh, thank God. Thank you, oh, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for you, you,
1: thank- prayers. <laughs> <laughs> thank
0: you, Jesus. Like, <laughs> I mean, it is just that. And so much of that perspective, I think, you know, comes from time, but you actually can have that choice in the moment yeah. that you could go, even though I don't know how, you know and it makes me think of Romans I think it's Romans 828 right like
1: all things work together for good
0: In all things yeah God things work together together for good for those who love God and are called to his purposes or something close to that that you can choose to go even though this awful thing has happened there's got to be some payoff as to why And it is always the way, right? Like you can look back on things that happened 20 years ago, man, I actually am quite thankful that I got fired from that job. Like, Mm -hmm. I actually am quite thankful that that relationship didn't work out. I'm quite thankful that I didn't get into that college. Like whatever it is, they were these heartbreaks. So I absolutely love that. And First of all,
1: first of all, you are taking us to church today. Okay. I'm about to bring my yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> I want to pause for a second because my fear, my hesitation uh. is that there's somebody listening on the other side that's listening to this and saying, yeah, sure. Okay. Perspective. Okay. Let your pain have a purpose. So for somebody out there that might be feeling cynical, I want to kind of flip the table on you. When you had the 10,000th door slam in your face, What was the thing that made you get up the next morning and knock on the next hundred doors?
0: Oh, you're talking to me? Yeah. Oh, well, it's funny. My honest answer to that would be programming. It would be programming. (laughs) Going back to the neuroscience, they taught us to say this, this phrase, the answer's behind the next door. The answer's behind the next door. The answer to every problem is behind the next door. And they like beat it into our heads. And I actually would say it out loud between houses. The answers behind the next door, always, and so I would say it was less of a feeling. I never felt like going to the next door. It was more of realizing, okay, my brain is a computer system, it's going to do whatever it's trained to do, and I need to program my brain that whenever something bad happens, the answer is behind the next door, so to just keep going and I would also say, you know, to that person that's listening right now going if they're sitting there thinking. Oh yeah, you know, it's this is all nice and tidy wrapped up in a bow like your pain turns into purpose and perspective. What I would say is just create an alternative version of how the story could end, right? So if you're sitting on the corner with a flat tire right now, it feels awful, right? Like I'm not telling people to fake their emotions like it sucks when someone slams the door on your face. It sucks when you have the flat tire. It sucks when somebody dies. It sucks when you get fired. But And this is part of where for me, I think faith comes into it, which is in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose is to go, I am consciously choosing to believe that even though I can't see it, even though I don't understand it, even though I don't feel it right now, what is a potential explanation for how this could be used for good? Mm -hmm. Or even just having the thought that it could somehow be used for good, I think gives you enough to go to the next door to go, yeah, I don't understand it, but I'm just going to keep going versus otherwise I'm, I'm just searching for an explanation. And the explanation is, oh, I suck. I'm not worth it. I'll never succeed. You know, I have bad luck. So I love what you're saying there about perspective and purpose. And I mean, those tie together really, really, really well.
1: Well, thank you Um, for knocking on the 20,000 doors, because I think that what you learned in that season has equipped you to help so many other people in their season of not wanting to knock on the next door.
0: Well, thanks, Bianca. I mean, I think, not I think, I'm 100% certain. Uh, you know, I've now interviewed thousands of people between my various podcasts over the years. This is a 100% the story of success. I have not found one person who has been extremely successful who doesn't have Some version of that story. In fact, in your book, you talk about Paul from the Bible. And this is, I know it's a, I mean, hey, you're a pastor. Like there's going to be a few biblical references. So (laughs) it doesn't mean you have to believe in Jesus to be successful, a personal brand. But (laughs) since we have a pastor here, but this was just a reference you used. I think this story, particularly for people who are not believers and don't, you know, maybe don't follow Jesus or like aren't that familiar with the Bible, the story of Paul. To me, is a really important and relevant story to people who are non-believers, specifically, you know, in the realm of perseverance and like g- using grit to transform someone. So, can you like describe why you chose Paul as an example of this?
1: Well, I refer to Paul as my Bible boyfriend. I just feel like there is no one else in the page. And yes, my husband is aware that I have a crush on a dead <laughs> Bible guy, uh, but. <laughs> But I love Paul the Apostle for his ability to persevere like no one else in Scripture. And there's going to be somebody that's going to argue with me. A person of faith is going to be like, well, what about Jesus? Yes, well, Jesus is the Son of God. So that's kind of not a fair comparison. But Paul was a man just (laughs) like you and me. And I love the humanity of Paul, but I love the drive that this man has to consider it joy, my pure brethren, when he writes to his fellow believers in the face of all adversity. And so for those that maybe haven't been to church in a while or never been to church, there is a man by the name of Paul. And he has this radical encounter where he sees the light proverbially and metaphorically and biblically. He's literally struck down, blinded by a light.
0: And before this, he's a oh. murderer. He is murdering Christians, persecuting mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So there's something about like whispered murderous threats or something. There's some verse yes. about that where it's like, So this wasn't just like a dude who had an encounter. This is like the bad guy, like the worst it could be. And then he has this encounter.
1: So he's the prosecutor and the persecutor against people of the way, as in those following Jesus. So he is on his way. He's breathing hot threats down the neck of believers. And he's stopped. He's halted on uh, the Damascus Road in a desert, dusty Dirty road. And he has an encounter that really changes his life. And suffice it to say, you can read his story all throughout the pages of scriptures, but the man goes on to pen two thirds of the New Testament and the one who was a prosecutor and the persecutor against the people that were people of faith. He becomes one of the, if not the chief crafter of our theology that we understand today. Now, that sounds lovely when we say theology, we think of like an ivory tower. No, this man was beaten. This man was stoned. This man was imprisoned multiple times. This man had allegations come up against him. And there's this one specific account where he is just falsely charged. He's put in a boat. He's sent over on his way to Rome. They're shipwrecked. They're ship- runs afloat against an island called Malta. They finally make it through this storm that's supposed to take their life. And as he's there, they're trying to dry themselves off and warm themselves up and they build a fire. And as they're building a fire, he picks up pieces of wood to start the fire and then out comes a snake that bites him and everyone's expecting him to die. And he doesn't die. He doesn't die. In fact, the hand that is bitten soon will be the hand that he lays on people that will experience supernatural miraculous healing. I mean, this man's story is absolutely insane. And he has such a conviction about what he's called to do that it's nothing can stop him. I'm not saying that he walks, you know, skipping along and desires to eat bonbons on the beach. No, the man endured so much. And yet it did not stop him from doing what he was called to do. So the reason why so much of this book is framed upon the life, if if there's a through line in this book, it's the life of Paul the Apostle, where we are all going to have this arresting moment. I know there's not going to be a a light that shines down from heaven and a voice. that's like, why are you persecuting me? But there's kind of of a moment in our life and maybe even multiple times in our life where we're stopped and we're arrested and asked, what are we doing? And it's those moments I kind of want us to pause and take a pulse check, if you will. What am I doing? What am I doing? Because there's going to be resistance that comes along the the way when we are pursuing the call that's upon our lives, whether that is sitting in a medical practice or whether that's going to law school or whether that is being a stay-at-home mom who is an entrepreneur running a business out of her kitchen. There's going to be resistance. And the reason why I'm absolutely besotted with this man named Paul is that nothing stopped him and thwarted him from not just pursuing the call upon his life, but encouraging others to do the same. So I look at Paul, which is the end of his life. He says, I pour myself out like a drink offering. Now, this is very poetic, but he was also speaking to the philosophy during that time that during that time in ancient Greco-Roman culture, they would pour out their wine to the gods as a sacrifice. And he is saying, I am pouring myself out for the benefit and the sacrifice, sacrifice unto the Lord for the benefit of you. And I want to get to the end of my life and say, I have fought the good fight. I have poured myself out like a drink offering, not only pursuing the God call that he's put on my life, but inspiring others to do the same, no matter what comes my way.
0: Amen. I love it. Bianca, where should people go if they want to learn about this book or connect with you and see all the things that you are up to?
1: Absolutely. I'm so excited about the project and it launches August 28th. People can pre-order and get a bunch of amazing gifts and incentives and resources, not just stuff that's going to sit on a desk, but resources that will enable people to build resilience and grit and perseverance. They can go to biancaoltoff.com backslash G D Q for grit. Don't quit. And also at Bianca Oltoff on all social media platforms.
0: Grit. Don't quit. com slash G D Q We'll put a link to that in the bio as well. And I would encourage you to follow her online. I mean, I follow her on Instagram and I just, I love it. It's just encouraging words. So thank you for your encouragement, friend. Thank you for your example. Thank you you for boldly pursuing your calling and, and what you're doing and we're praying for you and we are pulling for you and we wish you the best.
1: Thank you, appreciate you.
0: podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com and we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place also just please share 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 this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it and until next time remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation